Welcome to the CX AI and Outsourcing Podcast, a show about the people, technology, and economics that are shaping the customer support industry. My name is John Walter, and today it's just me on the microphone because there's a specific topic that needs to have detailed treatment, and I don't see anyone else doing it out there in the customer support context. And I wanted to take a moment and elaborate on some writing I've done on this topic and give all the listeners an opportunity to hear what's going on. And I was particularly motivated to put this out because while I've posted liberally about this on LinkedIn, I was talking with a friend yesterday who I'm friends with on LinkedIn, but he said he hadn't come across this topic yet. So I sent him some resources I just want to make sure all of my friends in the industry are aware of what's going on with this statute in Illinois that I personally think is the biggest and most important topic in customer support and the use of AI in the industry today. Imagine facing a $1 billion legal liability simply because your company captured customer voice prints without written consent. This isn't a dystopian scenario, but a real possibility under the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. Recent legal developments have turned this once-overlooked statute into a source of lawsuits literally capable of bankrupting even well-capitalized companies. So the statute is called the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, and the acronym is BIPA, B-I-P-A. Memorize that, BIPA. Whether you're a customer support leader, a BPO, or an AI vendor, you need to understand this law and make sure you don't step into traps unknowingly, because I'm afraid some companies actually are as we speak. So in a nutshell, this act came around back in 2008 when there was this company that was scanning thumbprints. It was allowing customers to buy products by just using their thumbprints, received a lot of funding. It was based out of Illinois, but the 2008 recession hit, company went bankrupt, and all of these thumbprints were sold at auction is crazy to think about. Think about a company having a ton of customer biometric identifying information and selling it at an auction to the highest bidder. That actually happened. And the state legislature in Illinois was reasonably upset about it. And so they enacted the statute. Nothing really happened for a while. So it didn't get much attention at all. Honestly, I don't think any any lawsuits were filed for a long time until some plaintiffs started to get some creative theories about what could constitute a violation of the statute. And they started to win a massive, massive verdicts and settlements. So the first BIPA case to be brought to a jury brought a $228 million verdict. And White Castle is currently looking at a potential $17 billion liability. And so, of course, the settlement amounts that have been surrounding this litigation haven't been disclosed, but they are massive, I'm imagining. And to understand why they're so large, just understand this. Every single time under the Illinois statute that a person collects a person's biometric identifier without their written consent, it's a separate violation of the statute. And the statute provides a $1,000 civil penalty for each negligent violation and a $5,000 penalty for every intentional or reckless violation. So what happened with White Castle is they had their customers, not their customers, their employees using their thumbprints to scan in when they got to work, clocking in, to clock out for lunch, clock back in after lunch break, and then clock out at the end of the day. And the statute of limitations on this act is five years. 
So White Castle, who has thousands of employees in the state of Illinois, for each one of their employees, they're looking at either $4,000 in liability per day per employee if it is determined that they negligently violated the statute. And it's a $20,000 penalty, and that's per day per employee if it's determined that these violations were reckless or intentional. And that large $228 million verdict that I mentioned earlier, that, that came from BNSF Railroad, there, part of the surprise to the bar at large was that the jury found the defendant had intentionally or recklessly violated the statute. So it is not far-fetched for White Castle to be afraid that, hey, maybe a jury could find that we owe $20,000 per employee per day. All right, that's massive. That's huge. So $17 billion. This is capable of bankrupting well-capitalized companies. And what stood out to me when I saw this and I read the statute is that voice prints are included within the definition of biometric identifiers. And so we need to take a step and look into what is a voice print Exactly. The BIPA statute does not define the word voice print. So we have to look to a court order and the few customer support context cases where the issue of voice print is evaluated. So there's one case that involves McDonald's where there was a drive through where the little ordering machine is allegedly, per the complaint, using the customer's biometric identifier in their of their voice print to identify who the customer is and to tailor the menu and the, I guess, the sales presentation to the customer based on their known history of preferences. And so in the McDonald's case, the court acknowledged that a simple recording of a voice does not constitute a voice print. This is very good news. So having all of your customer calls recorded in and of itself is not a risk, according to this opinion. And before I go any further, I need to say I am not licensed to practice law in the state of Illinois. I'm licensed in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. Currently seeking admission in California, studying for that bar exam now. It's going to be the epicenter of data privacy. It already is the epicenter of data privacy, but also when it comes to AI regulation. So continuing on here on the topic of McDonald's, the... Office of the Attorney General gave an opinion saying that what we have here, this is the Office of Attorney General of Illinois, a simple recording of a voice is not sufficient, but it doesn't really answer what is a voice recording. It just says this simple recording is not sufficient in and of itself. In the McDonald's case, the defendant brought a motion to dismiss the case saying that, hey, listen, this is, this is not sufficient to continue going forward. But the court allowed the case to continue. And in the opinion itself, I came across what I consider something to be of concern because the judge is pretty clear they don't know what a voice print is. But the rationale that the court uses is that it's clear that they're running this AI, they're running these calls through AI systems, and these systems may be converting the voice recordings into voice prints. So I'm going to read, read a little bit from the court order. 
the AI voice assistant allegedly collects customers' voice print biometrics in order to be able to correctly interpret customer orders and to identify repeat customers to provide a tailored experience and determines such unique features of the customer's voice as pitch, volume, duration, as well as to obtain identifying information such as the customer's age, gender, accent, nationality, and national origin. Okay, here's what's important about this. When you look at the context of what the statute is trying to protect against, it's trying to protect against individuals' biometric identifying information from being obtained by a third party without their written consent. The main concern is that if your biometric information is stolen, you cannot change it. You can change your social security number. Most people don't know that, but if it gets compromised, you can change it. You can change any other type of number that's associated with your name, but you cannot change your voice print. You cannot change your thumbprint or any other like facial scan, whatever it may be. And so they have a very strong interest in protecting the consumer's privacy when it comes to how this information is gathered and stored and shared. And it appears that this issue is most often invoked when technology is used to identify a person. And so the court here gives a laundry list of things that AI is doing. And among that, it says to identify repeat customers and provide a tailored experience. That is a major red flag in my mind. If I were a company and I were to see that, hey, you know, we are gathering voice data and we're authenticating customers using their voice or, you know, maybe that's like if it's like going to instead of asking them to have a password, you're just using it for authentication purposes. That's a clear cut red flag, clear cut red flag. But let's say if you're using it for something else, maybe you're not using it to authenticate who the person is for the purpose of accessing information in their account. Maybe it's a, you consider it like a less security sensitive issue, such as kind of like McDonald's is doing here. You're identifying who the person is for the purpose of cross-selling or upselling or just knowing their preferences. I personally think that's a huge risk, huge risk. What goes on in this court order is a laundry list of other activity, such as identifying a customer's age, gender, accent, nationality, and national origin. I mean, the this portion of the paragraph goes on. I mean, something that says they use this technology, speech to meaning technology, and analyzes speech signals in real time to obtain a result. I mean, it's pretty broad what the court is saying, and they don't really clarify which point is the one that's causing them to deny the defendant's motion to dismiss. The overall point I'm trying to make at this moment is that there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of gray area and the stakes are so high in this litigation because imagine, so how do you calculate how high it is? It's multiply the total volume of calls from the state of Illinois and then take that total volume and then multiply it by $1,000 per call and then multiply it by $5,000 per call. And the potential liability is going to be the product of either of those. So, so very high. And with the stakes being so high, so possibly tens or hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, if you are the target of litigation and the plaintiff survives a motion to dismiss, you're going to be in a whole world of trouble whole world of trouble. You're looking at a very large settlement negotiation happening. That thing, you, you're not going to want that to go to trial and you're going to be spending millions of dollars just on legal fees, uh, let alone the settlement. So I'm concerned. I'm concerned by this personally.
what I would do if I were, were a company is first is think through how would you let's say if let's say if you have been violating this statute because that's kind of the scary thing this statute's been on the books since 2008 and so if you've you know listened to this or read the article I put out on the topic and you realize oh my goodness we've been violating the statute we need to stop and clean up our act you can stop doing it today but guess what you've been violating the statute in the past statute of limitation is five years if you've been doing this for five years already the fruit is already ripe for a plaintiff's lawyer to come and pick. So I think it's important to take a moment and think through what is the process that a plaintiff's lawyer would follow to find a defendant to sue for this type of cause of action. So if you're a plaintiff's lawyer and you want to win big and you want to swing at a big pinata full of money, you first have to have a plaintiff to represent. How are you going to find a plaintiff for this type of case? Think through this with me for a moment. If you are a customer of a company and you call a company, you don't know what technology they are using. And so how can a lawyer market to a plaintiff who's unaware if they've ever been harmed by this? The way the plaintiff's lawyers are going to find the defendants are through the technology vendors that are blatantly violating the statute. Blatantly. I've seen well known companies with patent filings out there in the customer support space that clearly state they're capturing biometric information. These vendors also tout the companies that they serve as clients. They invite, they they give them awards. They invite them to speak at conferences on the use of their technology. It's all over the place. And on their websites, sometimes they'll state the brands that use their technology. Or sometimes they'll state things like four of the top five Telecom companies in the U.S. use this technology, so they don't use the brands specifically. It's just out there. The availability of the patents and the public statements by these brands of the companies using the technology is likely sufficient for a plaintiff's firm to pursue one of these cases. And so all they would have to do is identify a company that's been publicly identified by the AI vendor, which is also publicly stated that it's capturing biometric data, and then sending every door direct mail marketing in a plaintiff-friendly jurisdiction of Illinois, asking, are you have you called customer support to this company? And they only need one. They only need one person who's willing to come forward and say, yeah, I, I shop there or I, you know, I, I, I'm a customer of their services and I called customer support three months ago. And then it's a class action lawsuit. And so from that one plaintiff, they're able to pull together an entire class and, and start the, the certification process, the certification of the class. So what I'm encouraging my friends in the industry to do is to be aware of the statute, know that it's there, especially if you're running customer support in the voice context with customers from Illinois, and especially if you're running voice through an AI system. Make sure you and your vendors are complying with BIPA. And if you're unsure, if you're not 100% certain that your AI vendors are complying with this statute, and just quick side note, even if they do make statements that they're going to indemnify you, I guarantee you a litigation of this size, your AI vendor will not be able to fully indemnify you. It will take down the vendor and it may take down your company. If I were a customer support leader, I would not be publicly associating myself with AI vendors that I use unless I was absolutely confident that they were not violating the statute and that confidence was not based upon their statements, but upon my own research.
Well, sorry for the doom and gloom. It's not that bad because, you know, I think there's very few AI vendors that are stumbling into this trap. And so I don't think it's going to be a a massive issue, hopefully. And hopefully this all blows over and nothing happens. This isn't going to be around forever. What's happening in Illinois is not sustainable. Since these most recent lawsuits have, you know, there's a massive verdict, that 228 million verdict. And then there is a ruling in the White Castle case, which was very plaintiff favorable, which was saying that every single thumbprint scan is a separate violation. You know, the defense was arguing that each employee had a claim, but you couldn't bring a separate claim for every single thumbprint scan. The Supreme Court of Illinois ruled that no, every single scan is a separate violation. So even if you have one customer calling several times, that each phone call that hits the lines in violation of the statute would be a separate violation. But since then, there's been a snowball of cases coming down the pipeline. It's not going to last, last forever because it's either going to become be deemed unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court over time. There's a high likelihood of that just because of how, how intense the penalty is. It seems it's a constitutional violation of the defendant. And then secondly, it's likely that Illinois legislature may, not maybe it's not likely, but it's possible that Illinois legislature may change this over time. But until then, be on the lookout, be smart. And if you have any questions, again, I can't give legal advice, but you know, I just read everything I can find on the topic and I'm happy to help share my thoughts in a non-legal advice context, just what I think about the statute and what I would be doing if I were customer support leader. So anyways, hope you all are doing well and I will see you on the show next week.